So, all right. So let's just jump right in because it's kind of a long chapter and there is a lot here. I think I'm saying this for every single chapter. Yeah. <laughs> in First Corinthians. Because there's a lot in First Corinthians. Yeah. And it is totally relevant to our time. Even if we're not eating meat sacrificed to idols, you know, like... Does someone want to read through 1 through 14? Including 14 or ending at 13? I'd like to end at 14. Okay. 14 is a transition, okay. but I'd like to add it to this section. I'll read it. For I want you to know, brothers, that our fathers were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea and all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea and all ate the same spiritual food and all drank the same spiritual drink. For they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them and the rock was Christ. Nevertheless, with most of them, God was not pleased for they were overthrown in the wilderness. Now these things took place as examples for us that we might not desire evil as they did. Do not be idolaters as some of them were. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. We must not indulge in immorality as some of them did. And 23,000 fell in a single day. We must not put Christ to the test as some of them did and were destroyed by serpents. Nor grumble as some of them did and were destroyed by the destroyer. Now these things happened to them as an example, but they were written down for our instruction on whom the end of the ages has come. Therefore, let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. Therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. There's a lot there. Um, so let's just jump right in. Okay. First uh, Corinthians 10, verse 1. I do not want you to be unaware, he starts with. He's like, this. whenever he makes a statement like this, he's like, you should know this, is kind of what he's saying. He's like, All right, let me remind you of this. I don't want you to be unaware about this. Um, and he's talking to... He says, oh, come on, buddy, sorry. Um, he's saying, brothers that are, um, brothers that are fathers, so that's the next part. And I want you to be aware, brothers, that are fathers. And this is, means he's talking to believers, um, and it's also with, with, these are believers that have a Jewish history or have a knowledge of Jewish history, and I think that's important to recognize. He's just keeps exposing. <laughs> okay. All right, sorry. He doesn't normally do. He just is like, wow. He's just pulling everything out. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, I... Okay. Jewish. Let's just continue on the morning. Okay. All right. So these are just some things to note. He's like, you should know this. You guys... You are believers, and you know Jewish history. These are kind of, this is where he's starting. Um, and so this is also for us to go, okay, we need to kind of put on our Jewish thinking caps because we are not, we don't know, we don't automatically think of all these things. So there will be some extra references today because of that. 
Um, he said, our fathers were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea. So what do you, when you read that, did, you, did something come to mind when you read it? Children of Israel. Oh. Oh. Sorry. Sorry. It's okay. Poor guy. <laughs> <laughs> the, the, the throw of the head by Oh, poor guy. Okay. Okay, so when you read Under the Cloud and Passed Through the Sea, what did you think of? Did any did any passage anything come to mind? Yeah, the Red Sea. Mm -hmm. Red sea. Yeah. Good. Yeah, and that's what he that's exactly what he's referring to. The cloud and the sea referring to Exodus chapter 14 when they are up against the Red Sea and the Egyptians are behind them and God provides a cloud. The cloud was protection from the Egyptians, but it was also guidance for the Israelites throughout the, the throughout their time in the desert. Um, the sea is the is where the Israelites walked through dry, on dry ground. You know, remember they didn't. It said that it was completely dry. They walked through without getting their foot wet, and so um, we have that aspect that's here, they're passing through the sea. And the spiritual significance of passing through is really the passing from bondage from the, to the Egyptians to freedom in their own land or freedom as their own nation. This is the point where Israel has become their own nation. Before they were a, they were a slave community living in Egypt, but they become their own nation at this time. And there's a lot of parallels that we can make to our faith in Christ with this, this one specific act. And so, um, the cloud also signifies God's presence and blessing with, the, with Israel. And so if, even when you think about the temple, at the when the cloud came down, you knew that the presence of the Lord was there and his blessing was there. Um, and so we have these different aspects when you think when you hear when they when you hear under the cloud, you think of all these things, one of of the original event of the cloud, and then also the lord the the Lord still being present with Israel to sustain them. It's, not, it's going to be one He's of those. He's a talker. He's giving us a class. He is. Are you going to teach us? That shirt is just so funny. Here comes help. So, and then we have, okay, so the cloud. It has, it has, the, it has the idea of coming into a relationship with God, but it also has the, the idea of being sustained by God. So both of those things are there. Yes. <laughs> Can you tell I'm having a hard time focusing with, with when he's talking? Yeah, the huh? rag. Oh, you might want this. Take, Take it, it off. Take it off. Relevant. Relevant. You don't need it. You know, just live in the New Testament. Mm -hmm. 
but how would you even know what he was referencing? It, it just so much of it connects back to the, the beginning and how things were, and it, it ties it together. But I think if you didn't know that, you wouldn't get the full mm -hmm. understanding of meaning of what he's talking about. Mm -hmm. And especially like you think First Corinthians was one of the first one of the first few books of the of the New Testament to be written. And so when he talks about like the scriptures and what was written, he's not talk the gospels weren't written at this yeah. point. So you're like all of these things are talking about the Old Testament. And so it's important for us to recognize that also. So um so these things are they're just a lot of really kind of cool um parallels that he's making between the people of Israel and us as people and believers, as Christians today, in the in the the, the end, the end times. You know, he had that phrase in the, at the end of the age. You can sit at the table if you want to. <laughs> Go for it, bro. I'm at the table. <laughs> it was still set up this way from this morning, so we just all sat. Oh, oh, yeah. Um, for Christians, the cloud in the sea is a representation of baptism, which is kind of fun. Um, baptism being the symbol of a person passing into a new covenant relationship. Do you see the similarities between passing through the sea, um, Israel becoming a new nation, that, so it's the same kind of that new covenant relationship. Um, was, so we see, we kind of see that uh, as this idea of the Egyptians were slaves before, now they're turning, they're going to become free. And if we take that to the Christian life, we're slaves before to sin, and now we're moving into a relationship that's free with, with God. We're free from sin, but we're also free to follow God. And we need to make that, uh, that distinction between the two. We need to be aware that we are free to follow God when we weren't before. So that's verse 1. It's a lot. I feel like it's a lot in verse 1, but there's a, that's kind of some of the background that we need to be aware of. Um, and verse 2, he says that we are all baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. So again, baptism, identifying with or becoming part of, um, and he draws that parallel to our baptism in Christ. Um, when we think of the word baptism, I guess literally means to identify with, which I which I think is interesting, um, because yeah, because it was just it, it was just is it transliterated? It was taken from Greek and put into English, and so we'd know it as baptism is just the act of being baptized by water or by the Holy Spirit. And so, but there is this aspect of identifying with. So they were baptized into Moses, meaning that they are now identifying with Moses. And so this nation is now starting to form. We're no longer identifying with Egypt, but they're identifying with Moses. Does that make sense? Okay. Verses 3 and 4, he goes on to say, and all ate the same spiritual food and drank the same spiritual drink. So what had, was can, kind of been one of our themes that we've been talking about? Food and, food and eating and... Freedom and pre what you eat. And, yeah. 
So yes, there's, I feel like as we're going through this, I was like, oh yeah, well that's what he's talking about. I guess that's why he's talking about this because it does relate. But um, so his spiritual food is referring to the food given by God that was that divinely sustained the Israelites in the desert. So that's the manna and the quail. Um, and the spiritual drink was referring to the water that was provided in the desert. Um, so I, I put Exodus 17, uh, verse 6 says, Behold, I will stand before you there on the rock at Horeb, and you shall strike the rock, and the water will come out of it, and all the people will drink. And Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel. So the spiritual drink that came, and this rock that water came out of, uh, this was not something that just occurred, you know. This was something that God had given them. So <clears throat> same with the manna and the quail. The, the, manna, the quail came at certain times of day, you know, just for the time that the Israelites were in the desert. It's kind of interesting, right? Okay, oh, he's all wrapped up. <laughs> like a burrito. <laughs> he's rolling now, as you can tell. Um, but then he says, he goes on to say, for they drank the spiritual, they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them. Did anyone have any questions with that? Drank from the spiritual rock that followed them. Okay. So the spiritual drink, so basically what he's doing here is he's drawing some parallels between the Lord's Supper and, um, and the Israelites. So when they were in the desert... God provided for them with food and drink. And the same with Christ. There's parallels with Christ on the cross, the, the blood and the, um, his blood and his body, uh, and the Lord's Supper. So all of those things, there's a lot of symbolism here and a lot of things he's drawing from. Um, and I and we know that he's doing this because the last thing he says, and that rock was Christ. And so he's making this connection. He said, even in the desert, Christ was the one that sustained the Israelites, um, <clears throat> which is important to recognize. Is it also, the, is the reference is also when Jesus is talking about being the bread of life and the living water? So as a Jewish person, you would you would recognize that. I'm like we don't we don't recognize it, but they would. They'd be like, yeah, when he says, "I am the bread of life." Yeah. Because bread sustains. Bread and water will sustain um, someone. Not that it's an over and abundance of food, but it's it's what the bare minimums of that time that people would be able to be sustained by, and. Um, and there, you make that parallel to Christ being the bread, that we, we will have eternal life through him. Kind of cool. Um, nevertheless, with, mo with most of them, God was not pleased. Um, for, and then he says, for they were overthrown in the wilderness. 
Okay, so we go from God, from God saying, these are all the great things that I did for them, right? Well, this is what Paul is saying. Paul is saying, these are, these are all the great things that God did for the Israelites. You know, he's, he brought them into a new nation, into a relationship with him. They gave him freedom, and they, he gave them drink. He gave them food. He sustained them. But with all of these blessings that God has heaped, all of the, all, they all experience these blessings associated with redemption, of that, that taking them out of slavery and making them his own people. And nevertheless, most of them did not please him. I mean, that's not an easy statement that he makes there. Um, and I wanted to just kind of say it in a different way. Although they experienced blessing, they did not respond with obedience, but with evil is really what it is. Or with thankfulness or gratitude. I mean, yeah, they didn't respond with... They responded with grumbling, yeah. Yeah. right? Yeah. Okay, does anyone else go look at your life and your life? Yeah, because that's how they got the quail. I know. From grumbling. I guess they got what they wanted. If we keep grumbling, we'll get some kids. Yeah. It's like, okay, be quiet. Quail. <laughs> Valley slapping. <Yeah. laughs> I think it there there is like it's just interesting to to see the parallels of the the human heart that it is seen here, which is exactly the same as Paul's time. And then now we're reading it and we're like, it's exactly the same today. And so this is nothing new for uh, the human heart. Um, and then, uh, for they were all overthrown in the wilderness. What is what is he referring to here? He, a lot, the majority, like the the Israelites didn't even get to go into the promised land. It was their children. Yeah. And, so that, and then he goes in to give all the examples of what happened when they, like, the specific of when they were grumbling, right? Like that's mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. He start, and then he starts laying it all out. Um, and so he's like, okay, let me, if you can't remember, I'll, I'll help you remember. Here's all these, these examples. But basically, if we remember of all of those that left Egypt, except for Caleb and Joshua, they all perished in the desert. And so that's Numbers 14, 28, and 30, if you want to go back and read that. Um, and then in verse 6, he does. He says, okay, now these... Now these things took place as examples for us. He says, it happened to them, but again, he'll say later, it was written down for us. And so these things are examples for us to learn from. Um, so we learn from those that went, went before. We learn from their good, the, the good things they did, and we learn from the bad things they did, the foolish things that they did. Um, that, and he says, we're learning from them so that we may not desire, desire the same evil that they did. Mm-hmm. Honestly, when they throw grumbling into this, it just makes me grumble. Because <laughs> I'm like, grumbling shouldn't be in this list. I mean, like, it's not, it shouldn't be in with sexual immorality and, <laughs> and idolatry, but it is. And, um, and I think it's important to recognize that. So, 
look convincing. <laughs> 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 we tend to like compare like the you know how bad things are. We're like, well, grumble isn't that bad, but we all do it. Yeah, I'm grum. I grum. I'm a grumbler. Um. Okay, so. These are the things he's going to lay out in 7 through 10. Idolatry, sexual immorality, testing of God, and grumbling. Okay, those four things. So, let's go to verse 7. Yay. Do not be idol... Don't do not be idolaters. I was going to say idolers. Idolaters. <laughs> that would be funny. Like, just don't sit still. Just... Um, do not be idolaters as some... Uh, of them were. And so what is he referring to there? Well, the golden that golden calf is it's such an interesting story. They're like Moses has been up there too long. <laughs> we better just make our own god that took us out of Egypt. You're like it's been like 40 days. Like, what, you, what is going on? Really, in like a few, in a few weeks, you guys are like, we're going to give up what, whatever God has given us. And you're like, what is going on? How could you get to this point? Are you just like, yeah. When I think about them, yeah, they, say, they went and collected all the gold. Mm -hmm. Now, was, did they think about bringing gold when they were wooing? Didn't God tell yeah, God tells them to go take the gold from their neighbors. When they fled, fled Egypt, they said, He said, Go and ask your neighbors for all of their gold and silver. And they did. That's exactly what they did. And they said that, and God said, In this way, you they, they're raiding the, or they're plundering the, the riches of Egypt as they left. And so they just asked. They said, just go ask and they'll give it to you. It's kind of weird. Mm -hmm. yeah. We just read, reread through. I just have to go back and read Every time I read through Genesis and Exodus, there's more things. I'm like, huh. Yeah. God asked them to do that and it just happened. Yeah. Wow. Like, it was yeah. a simple act of faith. Because I'm like, if, if God was like, just go ask your neighbor for all of their gold, I'd yeah. be like... Who just says, oh, sure. Here's like, oh, <laughs> all my gold. Yeah. I'm not sure how they're going to respond. I might go without gold, you know, like... And yeah, so... Right. Get out of here, here. Yeah, yeah. But they were, you know, the circumstances, God had just wiped out the, the sun, the... And so... So there's, there's all of these things. So these things that the Lord sent them with, the gold that the Lord sent them with, to give them their riches as they leave to make, their, to make them his nation, they took that gold and they, they made a false god and said, we're going to worship them. That is... And they even they didn't even just say we're going to worship this new god. It was this is the god that took us out of Egypt. So they're rewriting their history within like the first little bit. And you're like, this is why God says we need to remember. We put they put up pillars um, of remembrance. Yeah, he doesn't like that one. He doesn't. Oh, sorry. I don't even know why it's here. 
Um, uh, as it is written, he says, the people sat down to eat to, and drink and rose up to play. I feel like that's written for us. <laughs> right? <laughs> is it not? Um, and I, Exodus 32, 6, I feel like we should, it says, it says almost exactly that. I'm, I don't think I put it up there because I think it says exactly the same thing. They sat down in front of the idol and they sat down, they ate and they drank and then they rose up and danced around the idol, worshiping it. And I'm like, okay, make parallels to your own life in this. You know, there's just so many different things that are, that are here. Um, and in the Corinthians time, they had feasts where they sat and they ate and they drank and then they stood up and they played, right? What was, and I don't know if you remember, one of the things that, that would happen at, every, at the end of every feast, they would bring out the prostitutes and, that's, and then they would go and have their fill of pleasure. So you'd eat and drink and then you'd have, then you'd get up and play. And so you have these, these things that, that Paul is making the parallels between. <laughs> That's what play means. Play How did you guys know that? My translation says, and they got up and indulged in pagan revelry. Yeah, that's what I'm okay. Indulged in pagan revelry. Well, I don't know. <laughs> I guess if you pull out merriment. And I think because Paul, because Paul is referring, you know, he's pulling these these parallels between the Egyptians and the Corinthians. <laughs> And that the, what the Corinthians were doing at, the t at that time, when one of the things they're talking about is these meat sacrificed to idols, they're like, and you'll see as he continues, he's like, if you're a part of these feasts, and, you're, and then you go and you stand up to go get involved in sexual morality, and you know, the, some of these were temple prostitutes, so it was a, an act of worship of the, the idols that were there also. So you have all of those parallels to what was going on there in Exodus chapter 32. Um, yeah. Hi, Deborah. Hi. Hi, Deborah. I think a uh, prostitute back then was probably more like a, that they had no out either. Probably more of a sex slave. Yeah. You know, like, cause they, I don't think they were paid probably. They weren't paid, used. no. So that's yeah. what I was asking if it yeah. was the same concept of prostitution as... Of gaining. I think it's more of a slavery. <clears throat> I think it depends on kind of where you were because I think that there were places where people were gaining money off of it. Because hey, it's the human heart. You're gonna, people exploiting other people in order for their own gain. So you, you'll see. I'm sure that was part of it, but I think there is an aspect that it was. 
especially the prostitutes like in temples those they were just part of the temple and so they would eat from eat from the temple but I, would, I don't think they're gaining riches off of that they get room yeah they get room and board I mean yeah so and I, there are places in the world that that's still happening so you know but when you think of prostitution like in America like mm-hmm. the stuff that people are whatever it's not my expertise we should ask <laughs> Crystal over there <laughs> um, okay so let's continue eating and drinking uh, verse 8 um, we must not indulge in sexual immorality. So he first says, no idolatry. Um, idolatry is eating and drinking. S- seems to be an issue. And so, okay, anyways, okay, let's go to verse 8. Sorry. Um, we must not indulge in sexual immorality as some of them did. 23,000 fell in a single day. Um, and, uh, you know, he's pulling out these certain circumstances to remind them the degree that God does not like this stuff. Um, and it's just this remi- this remembrance. And so this, this is referring to Roman, I mean, to Numbers 25, verses 1 through 9. Um, there, the Israelites started prostituting themselves to the Moabite women. The word is the word that it was there was prostituting themselves to so and I just said they're sleeping around with Moabite women. Um, and this was a major problem. And so God said this can't be. First off, they're they're pulling you first it was first just a an act, a, a sexual act, and then they started taking them to their temples of Moab and so it then it became idolatry and at that point God said no more of this um, if you want to read 1 through 9 it's quite gory they they kill two people um, they're brought into the temple a Moabite woman and a Jewish man and they're impaled and then the plague ends, but still, by the time that happens, still 23,000 of them died. So, um, you can go back and read that, which is quite interesting. So, um, But Paul is making this as a parallel for the Corinthians and for today, that sexual immorality is, it, it's not just a physical act, but it will always lead to the spiritual of moving away from God. Um, and so he's making this, he said, we must not indulge in this same, in sexual immorality the same way that they did back there, back then. So this is not something new. You can't be like, well, they didn't deal with it back then. Or like, yeah, they did. They had problems too. Um, and today, people say, well, the world is so sexualized. I'm like, pretty sure the world was just as sexualized back then is just you found it in different places. Um, yeah. So, verse 9. Questions, comments? Up to this point? Okay, verse 9. We must not put Christ to the test, as some of them did, and were destroyed by serpents. 
Okay, does anyone know what he's referring to there? The serpents. There were snakes, and then didn't they put one on a pole and you're supposed to walk out? Mm-hmm. And you'd be saved. I always find that story so hard to grasp, though, because we're not supposed to put our focus in idol. Just as Moses lifted the. Yeah, yeah, exactly. There's so many things. But, but isn't that related to Satan? Is it or not? A serpent? So what I find interesting is that they do say there's Paul draws parallels to this later. He said, just as Moses lift or no, not Paul. That's Jesus. He said, just like just like Moses lifted the snake in the desert, so the Son of Man must be lifted up. And so it, they said it's also a picture of how the Messiah will come and will have to be hung. That's interesting. Yeah, you see that a lot, like the snake mm-hmm. around, yeah, the, yeah. the pharmacy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You think that's where that <coughs> That's what they told us when we were there. Is that wow. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh, wow. Yeah. That's kind of cool. It is a strange story for us because we go, how, why would God choose the serpent to look at the serpent and raise the serpent? But... Yeah, but okay. Let's. I'm just going to summarize the whole circumstance. So, the the people were ungrateful um, for God's sustaining work in their lives. They started questioning why God brought them to the desert, and they started criticizing what He was doing. So God sends serpents into the camp, and He's like, "Okay, if you guys are you guys aren't happy with what I'm doing, here's there's so many." things that uh, that are maybe hard for us to understand but he's like i'm going to release this on you i was holding them back but now i'm letting them go and they come into the camp and they start biting people and people start dying and they go to moses they're like we're sorry we were ungrateful what are we supposed to do and moses pleads with god and god says make make a snake put it up on a pole a snake of bronze and if if anyone is sick they look at it they will be saved and again, we don't look at it as, okay, now we, this is what we need to do in every circumstance. We need to make a, 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 a snake out of, out of metal and put it up on a wall so that when we're sick, we can look at it and then God will heal us. That's not what he's saying. It's a picture of what Christ will do in the future. Um, and so you see that all throughout the Old Testament of these kind of pictures of, um, of what... God is going to do through Christ. And so this is another circumstance of that. Yeah. It's death to sin. And it says All right, so um, now 
this is the example that he gives, but he's calling this putting Christ to the test. So why, why would, why would the grumbling and the criticizing of God be putting him to the test? Or the questioning, maybe not grumbling, it's the questioning and the criticizing of God and the being ungrateful for what he has done. Why is that putting God to the test? Because I think it angers, I mean, it makes him upset with him. Almost like a parent loses patience with a child, kind of. And yet we know he's perfect and he's not impatient with us, but I think he probably gets it angers him or it frustrates him or I don't know what the right word is but maybe it's like tough love yeah mm-hmm. you know he just really loves us but you know it's just kind of like you have to be stern and stick to what you said even though you love him mm-hmm. I, go ahead no Mm-hmm. So it's in verse 5, Numbers 21, it says, They spoke against God and against Moses and said, Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? There is no bread, there is no water, and we detest this miserable food. There's then, no food, there's no water, but we detest the food that we have. Yeah. And why did you, why did you bring us up? So I feel like that's the... It's almost like they're questioning thing. his character. Like, yes. he doesn't know, they can't trust him, and he's not faithful. There is something to that. Like, why did you bring us out? We were happy being slaves where we were. Why are you bringing us into freedom? We don't want it. Wow, there's so many parallels to America right now. (laughs) But I think that there, there is some aspect there of, like, God has brought them into freedom, and they're choosing to just reject it. They're like, we don't want this. And I'm... It's, it's really, it's really like provoking God. It's really what it is. They're just provoking Him by saying, "Why did you do this to us? You obviously are not doing this right because we're unhappy." I feel like this is every day in our house. It's my wonderful daughter. Um, and I just feel like there's this this constant like you don't want you don't want this for me. I'm like no, what I want for you is what is best. And right. sitting in front of the TV and what and eating candy all day is not what is best for you. I wonder which daughter that is. <laughs> <laughs> what you say? I said, gee, I wonder which daughter that is. <laughs> <laughs> no, but that's true. It's, it's like me with my kids, right? I, I take privileges out of them. You know, you're you're not being thankful of what you have, and you're doing, you're complaining, and you're gone. And guess what? No, there's no phone, there's no leaves. Yeah. So now you take all the privileges, yeah. like you say, that tough love and shaking, and, and maybe the same thing. Yeah, I think so. It's that testing of God. And he's like, you're going to test me? Then I'll respond. Um so I think for us we have to ask the question is it easy for us to complain and to criticize what God is doing I think we don't feel like we're criticizing God but really we are 
without yeah. doing it directly. Yeah. Because it says they they spoke up against Moses and God. You know, so it was yeah. Maybe without having the awareness that you are truly complaining to yourself. Even like our kids or even ourselves when we complain of how we look or really this is how God made me. And actually complain that he made me whatever color or nationality or whatever, you know. It's like we're complaining or criticizing how God made us. That's true. Verse 10. Um, so he says, do not put Christ to the test, but he also says, nor grumble as some of them did and were destroyed by the destroyer. So there are, I put numbers 14, but you could go back to um, Exodus, like the Exodus and the destroyer coming and taking the firstborn sons. Mm-hmm. That's the word destroyer. That's what he's re- that, what that referring to. Um, spirit of death, was it called the spirit of death, right, in Exodus? I think so. I'm, I'm not sure. So the word destroyer, I think, it was something like it's the same word that was used in Exodus for the destroyer is the same word. And that's where they had the Passover mm-hmm. blood and the doorways, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Um, and then they said they, there's also parallels to Numbers 12, Numbers 14, and Numbers 16. So, um, but what were you going to say for Numbers 16? Can you summarize it for us? Um, basically, they almost have like a coup, is that what it's called? Where they come, there's like these three leaders and they come to Moses and they basically say like, is this, are you really like following, kind of like challenging and provoking again? Like, are you really following, like, is this really what God is telling you to do? And like, why can't we be in this, kind of challenging that, like, why can't we be in this position? And then God something with senses? I don't know what that is. But they have, basically Moses says, you know, do do X, Y, Z, and if God um, takes your lives by, like, natural causes, then you know that, like, I'm having direct relationship with God, right? And then... God takes them? God, like, the, the earth caves in and, like, swallows them all up, right? That's kind of a bad summary. No, that's a good summary. <laughs> And the earth, like, swallow, yeah, yeah, and it's like they're swallowed up yeah. by the earth, yeah. yeah. And in and, and Numbers 14, which is what they also refers, they, they're referring to Numbers 14 in this also, it's pleading, they're pleading to go back to Egypt, saying God brought them out of the desert to kill them. God makes the people wait a whole generation to go back into the, prom, to go into the promised land. Um, and then in 12, Numbers 12, I, I can't remember Numbers 12 now. Now you have a whole other story. Honestly, I feel like it's kind of the whole time in the desert is what he's yeah. referring to. Um, there's just, when we grumble again, this is really they're grumbling against where God had them. And so God kept them there. 
kind of interesting, isn't it? But you, it just it doesn't seem like their grumbling got them anywhere. It got them stuck, or it got brought them punishment. It didn't help them move forward into the promised land, what God had in store for them. No one is immune. Yeah. I know exactly. I know. <laughs> like you were just supposed to say it. And it was literally like strike two. I know. And yet, I think what I've heard about that story is that God was frustrated with Moses in that situation because he was representing God to the people, and they didn't want. That he didn't want the people to look at him as this angry, out-of-control God. And that's what Moses kind of portrayed to the people. That, and so that was just a really bad representation of God's character as well. And so I think that, but then that's a lot to expect of Moses. I would have hit the rock too. But, <laughs> but I do think that that's one of the things that God was... Yeah, yeah. Because he was upset with the people, and he's just grumbling, you people, why are you doing this, you people, you people, you people? And then he yeah. hits the rock when God asked him to just speak and the water flow forth. Which seems like he just, he, just ate an, he just ate a piece of fruit, what's the big problem, right? That's kind of, it's the same idea, but it's an act of obedience that wasn't followed. And that act also is a misrepresentation of who God is. And I think it's another call for us, like if we're parents, like to be really careful how we come across to our kids because like of the way he was, you know, I'm just saying, <laughs> if that's what God was upset about Moses for representing him badly, think about how many people have a hard time <clears throat> with the heavenly father because of their earthly father. Like God's call to parents and fathers and you know, is to be to show his love to to the kids too. So I mean, we all fail in that every day, probably. But I'm just saying, it's a big. It was a big call and it's a big challenge. <laughs> Glad you called that one out on me. <laughs> no, I mean, I'm, I'm the first to admit I've messed up the image of God for my kids. But I think it's just a good reminder. Yeah, it is. I think even. Like right now, as believers in the world, uh, us trusting, putting our trust not on human um, leaders, um, but because maybe it's not going the way we wanted it to go or whatever, but putting, showing those that aren't believers that are still in the Lord. Um, and I, I'm struggling with this with a friend and work and stuff because you're surrounded by those that are unbelievers and you still want to make a good be a good example to them like you know what I I still trust in God no matter who's president or who's not president mm -hmm. um, that's where my trust and my hope is um, and to show that as believers and not feel like we're defeated or mm -hmm. grumbling or grumbling mm -hmm. <laughs> Okay. No, no, it's a good point. I just, I can't respond to it because if I respond to it, we're going to go in another direction. So, <laughs> it's very relevant. And, uh, yeah. So let's 
He says, Now these things happened to them as an example, but they were written down for our instruction. And so again, he he said this at the beginning. This is these are these are experiences that happened to them, but they're written for us so that we might follow not their example, but follow not follow their example. <laughs> that makes sense. Um, they're written down as examples for us. Um, and then it says, "On whom the end of the age has come." What do you think he's referring to there? No comment. Okay. It's kind of, it sounds a little confusing, but really it's just the time from when Christ came to when he's going to return. This is the end of the, end of the ages. We're in the last bit. Christ will return at some point. We're in the, the last age, the end of the ages. Um, Christ will return. And yeah, so, so it's written down for us. This is a different, a different age, a different covenant that we're living under, and we're under Christ now, even though they were as Israel. Now it's also written for us that are under Christ. Does that make sense? Okay. Verse 12. Um, Therefore, let anyone who thinks he, he, that he stands take heed lest he fall. And like what you said, that Moses was not immune to, to staying in the desert like everyone else. And that's, I think there's some parallels to Moses not being able to be a part of the, the promised land also. Um, and it's just a reminder for us. Therefore, let anyone who thinks that he can stand take heed lest he fall. So the take heed means to be watchful, to keep your eye out. So not to get lazy. You might think that you're strong and that you don't need to be in the word. You don't need to be in prayer. You don't need to be in community. I'm fine. I don't need to do that. Um, he's like, but you need to watch out and make sure because it's at those times where you think I can do this on my own that you will fall and so it's always going back to who God is what he has done for us and and making our firm roots in that and not in who Christ has made me there's some parallels that we do that we go like well Christ has done all of this and he's made me the way I am and so this is good and so I rest in what God has done to make me where I am and I go no I need to rest in who God is and that he's going to continue to grow me not where I stand right now so does that make sense let's keep moving forward and then he says but no temptation has seized you that is not common to man however does anyone memorize this verse before <laughs> and I like this he gave three different temptations uh, I think is four right was there four or three? I test. Yeah. Pretty sure I wrote four, but I wrote three. In my head, I typed four. Sorry. Um, he gave them four temptations that were common during Moses' time um, and his time to the Corinthians, and they are also common in our times. 
These are not anything new or old. Um, the human heart and temptation are the same now as it was 4,000 years ago. Um, but at the same time, he says, so no temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man, and God is faithful. So, but, so the temptations are the same, but God is the same also. He's the same then as he is today. And, he, and then he goes on to say, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide a way of escape that you may be able to endure it. Um, God never leaves us. And if there's something that we're put under that seems like too much, God will give us the grace to endure it. Because there's times where you go, there's no way I could have lived through that. And even with Kylie passing away, a year, not even, it was about six months before I said, I don't know where I would stand if one of my children died. And I said, I don't know. I don't know, I don't think I could handle that type of temptation to not walk away from the Lord. And, and yet here I stand and I still stand with, with God and saying, now I, God has the, these temptations that we have to walk away from him, no matter what the circumstances are, the Lord will give us a grace that we need to stay and to stand with him. Um, yeah. I wasn't planning on sharing that. But. My husband said this past week, God's grace enters us where our strength ends and takes over. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And gives us the gas that can help mm-hmm. us. Mm-hmm. And I just see that in some situations that's mm-hmm. like been made conscious, you know. Yeah. And you and you do you see that and like, Naomi's got grace on her shirt today, and God does. He gives us a grace that we need in any circumstance so that we'll be able to endure. And really, truthfully, this is this idea of enduring. It has an eternal pers- point to it. It's not just this is not just a temptation that comes and goes, and it doesn't. It, this is the idea of. Enduring through to the end. Um, I'm trying to reread what I wrote here. God will always come alongside us in temptation, provide a way out so that we can continue in Christ. The purpose is not just to make our lives easier, but it's this idea to keep us in Christ and to make us more dependent on Christ. Um, and then Matthew 6, 26, 6.13, he says, Let us, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And this is the idea, like, we, God doesn't want us to be stuck in our sin and in our temptation, but wants us to, to move forward in Christ to eternal life, so that we're not sidelined. We want to be in the game, right? So... Um, this is kind of him summarizing this section that he was talking about. God, even in, with Moses, God gave them each the opportunity to 
there were outs for all of them, you know, but they chose the temptation instead. I'll take them. Let me try to feed them. Any questions on those verses? I was just reading, I don't know if this is right, but that temptation, that word can also mean uh, like test or trial. Mm -hmm. that, so when I, I don't know, like just reading it in that context, that was helpful for me to look yeah. even at like a test, like, you know, that's a big topic. Like yeah. No, it's a good, it's good, it's a good, it's good to recognize the word means more than just temptation. The trial also is there. Um, let, oh, sorry. I was just going to say, it just kind of reminds me of the Proverbs, you know, the, the verse that says pride goes before destruction in a honey spirit before a fall. Like, don't think you're, don't think you're above mm -hmm. the temptation, you know? Yeah. We think like you'll you be prideful about that, yeah. and you'll see this, especially in the body of Christ. Be like, I don't know how that guy ended up in that place. Like, yeah. I would never find myself in that place, and be like, No, we're all capable of being there, and so you need to watch out that you don't find yourself in that same spot. Yeah. By the grace of God. Yeah. By the yeah. grace of God. Yeah. Um, yeah. Okay. Um, this is kind of a transition verse, verses fourteen. Um, he says, therefore, beloved, flee from idolatry. Um, whether idol worship through food or drink or sexual immorality, he's, he's like, we need to run away from it. And the, I, I put it with this section because I really feel like it, it follows along with all the, the, with talking about idolatry and all the things that were happening in Israel um, that we need he's like you need to flee from it you don't don't stay with it flee from it um and then he continues on in the next section let me read quick i speak i speak as to sensible i speak as to sensible people judge for yourselves what i say the cup of blessing that we bless is is it not a participation in the blood of christ the bread that we break, is it not a participation in the body of Christ? Because there is one bread, we who are many are one body, for we all partake of, one, of the one bread. Consider the people of Israel. Are, um, consider the people of, are not those who eat the sacrifices participants in the altar? What do I imply then? That food offered to idols is anything? or that an idol is anything? No, I imply that what pagan sacrifice, I imply that what pagan sacrifice they offer to demons and not to God. I do not want you to be participants with demons. You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. 
we cannot partake of the table of the Lord and the table of demons. Shall we provoke the Lord to jealousy? Are we stronger than that? Um, I think it's interesting in 15, he's like, okay, I'm speaking to sensible people. He's like, you guys are smart. You're able to think. Um, and I want you to judge my reasoning for yourselves. So he's like, I want you to think about what I'm, what I'm telling you right now. You're smart. You can do this. Don't just disregard it. And he starts by talking about the cup of blessing, the cup of blessing that we bless. Um, another way of saying this is the cup of thanks, the cup of blessing that we're thankful for. We bless God for. Um, and this is this is the wine. You know, there's the the parallel, not the parallel. This represents also the wine. Uh, in the Lord's Supper. So we know here that he's talking about the Lord's Supper. Someone was going to say something? Maybe not. Um, so the wine, and this is thanking God for his faithfulness, but it's also taking part in the blood of Christ. And so was it in Romans that he talks about the, the Lord's Supper and that when we take when we take the when we partake of the Lord's Supper, we are joining with Him in His death. Mm -hmm. And I can't help but think of that same thing here in this passage. Um, he said, "Are we not participants in the blood of Christ? So are we not un united? The enjoyment of the relationship that comes through this, um, that idea of participation, we're a part of it." Um, it's also the connection with his suffering too uh, and then he talks about the bread that we break is it not the participation in the body of Christ the bread we break and they broke and you know that idea of breaking the body of Christ Christ was broken for us but we it also so we just have both of these aspects he's like you are all in here you're a part of Christ through his blood and through his body. And there's no question on that. And then he goes in to make it, that was a, in the individual, okay, you're specifically thanking God for what he did, for his blood and for his body that was given. But then he also pulls it out in verse 17 and making it about being in unity with the other believers. Because of this one bread, we who are many have one body, for we all partake of the one bread. So this common eating of the one loaf makes us one people and is unifying us. And go back to, to Matthew um, when he talks about, I'm not Matthew, John chapter 6 when he talks about, he says, I am the bread of life. My, and if you do not eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have nothing to be, you, you're not a part of me. And you see here, he's like, we are. You are participants in this, and you are participants, and, and you're part of the body of Christ um, because we're all participants. Does that make sense? Is this why in, is this why in some communion 
Yeah. Because it's the body of Christ and we're all partaking of it and we're all in unity together from that. And there's something about taking that loaf and breaking it and then taking parts of it. Yeah. There's so many there's so many layers to it, isn't it? Um and so you have the first the first part that's kind of the individual and now you have he's adding it to the unity of the people. Um Verses 18 and 19. Um, so now he's making another parallel to them. And he, he's not even, he's making a statement. Not, it's not really a question, it's a statement because he's answering it. But So consider the people of Israel are not those who eat the sacrifices, participants in the altar. And he says, so what do I imply by this? Because he just is saying, yes, they are. They are participants of the altar. Um, food offered to idols, the, that food offered to idols is anything, or an idol is anything. So is if someone offers food to an idol, is it anything? Does it, it, does it, does it mean anything? No. It doesn't. Yeah. Because an idol is what? Nothing. It's nothing. Mm-hmm. And he's making a shift now. He's like, this act doesn't mean anything. But what does matter is that what I, he says, I imply that what pagan sacrifice they offer to demons and not to God. Mm-hmm. So the act the act of eating this meat sacrifice to idols is not an act to God, but to demons. So it's not the food itself that is the problem, but it's the acts that go with it. Um, and he says, and I don't want you to be participants with demons. You're not, he's, he just said, you are united with Christ and you're united together in Christ he said, and I don't want you, I don't even want one of you to go and to, to be united with this demon worship that's going on over here. Um, and another words of saying, he's like participating in the pagan sacrifices and eating the meat offer, offered them to worship cannot happen. He's like, you just can't be a part of that. You can't drink from the Lord's cup and also drink from the cup of demons. That's sitting, and then he's, this is participating in the sacrificial feasts that were happening at the temples. He's like, you just can't be a part of that. You can't go and be a part of that. Um, because you are partakers of the Lord's table, and you can't be at both. And I think this, you can make a lot of parallels to our lives today and saying, what is there that I can't be a part? I don't, I know I was in junior high, I had all my friends that were doing seances and I wouldn't join them. I said, I can't do that. This is demon worship and I'm not going to be a part of it. And they're, you know, I was just the, the friend, the friend that just was boring, you know, to them. I said, no, we can't, as Christians, I can't, like as a Christian, I can't be a part of this. Um, and it's just interesting 
to see there are parallels to today that are outside of the meat sacrifice and temples, but there are things as Christians we just don't we just don't go down that way because it's part it's sitting at the table with <laughs> with worshiping something else and we just can't we just can't. Go you just down. brought up a funny memory when I remember doing that with, with my girlfriends. We were we were like maybe eighth grade or so, and we were all good semi-good little Catholic girls and we were having a seance at a sleepover and we started to kind of freak ourselves out so we're like okay let's pray first so we first and then had the seance oh my god <laughs> and then had the seance pray first and then oh my god yeah this is what God says don't do <laughs> that's a perfect example it's like you think that you're under you're fine because you take you're a part of the body of Christ and that you take communion you think you're fine and that you go and do these other things and this is not okay he's like you think that okay you just pray and then you're gonna be covered he's like no God wants more than us more from us than just that he wants obedience um, and honestly, it's, it is. That's provoking God. He says, shall we provoke the Lord to jealousy? Just like the Israelites did. They were provoking God in the, in the desert. He's like, should we be provoking him to jealousy? Do we think that we're stronger than him? That's a great example. <laughs> Let's pray first before we do this sinful thing. Like, it's like, it's so so representative representative of our hearts it's like the verse that Jay put out we can't serve two masters yeah yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. I think that verse is interesting because the the word they, you can't serve both God and money but the word there is wealth in Greek mm -hmm. and so it's like it's not that money itself is evil but it's the collection of it well, and I thought it was interesting how he pointed out that it was the personification. It's like when you personify, the word money should have had a capital M, like it was a personification of it. So like any of these idols that you are serving, not just wealth or money. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I loved how he put that uh, that quote from somebody else. That C.S. Like Lewis. Climbing that, no, climbing oh, yeah, that, yeah. that ladder, right? They're climbing and climbing and they get to the top. Yep, climbing the ladder of success, but it's up against the wrong wall. There. Yeah. You know, it's, it, that was not the right wall. Mm-hmm. And how much does that happen to life? Yeah. Right? So much people, they spend their lives worshiping idols, yeah. and then when they... They get out there, they, 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 they see it, they just like, empty. There's nothing This is not what I was looking for. Yeah. And as Christians, we know better, and we better be on the right ladder. Okay, so testing God. So now he goes on to the, he goes, he starts kind of repeating himself. So you remember in six, in chapter six, he says, all things are lawful, but not all things are helpful. Mm -hmm. So he's repeating himself again in verse 23. All things are lawful, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful, um, but not all things build up. Let no one seek his own good, but the good of his neighbor. Eat whatever is sold in the, in the meat markets without raising any question on the grounds of conscience. For the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. If one of the unbelievers, and 
If one of the unbelievers invites you to dinner and you are disposed to go, eat whatever is set before you without raising any question on the grounds of conscience. But if someone says to you, this has, this has been offered in sacrifice, then do not eat it for the sake of the one who informed you and for the sake of conscience. I do not mean your conscience, but his. For why should my liberty be determined by someone else's conscience? If I partake with thanksgiving, why am I denounced because of that for which I give thanks? So whatever you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Give no offense to Jews or to Greeks or to the church of God, just as I, just as I try to please everyone in everything I do not seeking my own advantage, but that of many, that they may be saved. I love that we have all memorized, whatever you do, whether you eat or drink, I'm like, that was one of our first memory verses when we were a kid. But, okay, so he repeats himself the same idea, as all things are lawful, but not all things are helpful, uh, as in 6.12. <coughs> But he's adding to it. Before he said he will not be dominated by anything. So he's not, been, he's not going to be given over to his sin, right? He's going to, he's, he's going to be in Christ, not in his sin. He's like, um, and then he says, he adds, but not all things build up. He's now emphasizing the unity aspect of this the edification of the body of Christ, the building up of the body. If it's not helpful to building up the body of Christ, then it's not necessary. Well, that's the measure we use. That's the measure we use. And this is where he's, this is where he's going as Christians. The measure we use is, is it, it's, the, yeah, okay, it's not dominating me. It's not something, I'm not going to let something dominate me. Um, but at the same time, is it helpful to the body of Christ? We are all one. Yes, I am in Christ, and I make that, that connection, but we're also eating all from the same loaf, and so we have this unity that we need to be a part of. Um, and so he, he's now going on to, to encourage and emphasize more on that unity of building each other up. So let no one seek his own good, but the good of his neighbor. So we should be thinking first of what would benefit the other believer first. How is this going to benefit them? If me, if I'm sitting in a group of believers and I'm like, we're out to dinner and I'm like, I really want to have, I, don't, I, I can't even think of any, a, a glass of wine. I really want to have a glass of wine, and I go, is this, if this act will, will it bring unity or will it not bring unity? And I go, well, I know that this person doesn't like it, so I'm just not going to go there. I'm just, I won't do it. And I know that this is a problem for them, so I'm not going to take that. So my, I'm not dominated by alcohol. <laughs> it's not something that's a problem for me. But I know that it can be a problem for this person, so I'm choosing not to be a part of it. Um, does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah, but I don't understand, maybe you're going to get there, but on uh, verse 29, I do not mean your... Oh, yeah. wait, no. 
for why should my liberty be determined by someone else's conscience? Yeah, it's a little confusing. So let's get there. Um, so he gives, let's, we're going to just, let me go quick over the suggestions for living in unity. He says, okay, if something is sold in the markets, just buy it. Don't worry about it. Don't ask the question, is this, was this given to sacrifice of idols? He's like, it's not, you're not participating in the worship of the idols by eating the meat. The meat means nothing. He said, everything in the earth is the Lord's. He's like, if you're going to the festival with the sacrifice and you're eating the meat at the festival and you know that you're worshiping by eating this meat, that's where the problem lies. He's like, so have your conscience be free. Eat whatever from the, from the market. And then he says, if you're at someone's house, you're at an unbeliever's house, don't offend them by not eating what is given to you. Unless they specifically say, we're going to eat this because we sacrifice this to our idol and we're going to worship him together at the table. And you say, for conscience reasons, so that they know, so that they know where I stand. Because they, Christians were, people knew that Christians weren't to participate in, of, with idols, right? And so for them to know that my, my testimony and my witness is staying strong, you don't do it. Mm -hmm. So that they might come to Christ. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. So those are his examples. Um, now he talks about conscience in verse 29. He says, I do not mean your conscience, but his. Why should my liberty be determined by someone else's conscience? So what Paul is saying is that Paul doesn't allow someone else's conscience or judgment on him to make him guilty or determine his freedom in Christ. He's like, this is, I'm not doing it because of my conscience, but I'm doing it for their conscience so that their conscience doesn't cause them to sin. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Or even just as a way of like, almost like evangelizing to them like hey, they may uh -huh. go well why wouldn't you like it would be like an, a conversation uh -huh. starter like hey this might be an opening to share my faith you know so I remember I was sitting at someone's house we were in Europe and I was I had I was at Bible school at the time and I had to sign off that I wouldn't drink during my four years at Bible college I was just it changed my later years that you could drink if you're not on campus but it was like you just can't these four years you choose not to and I signed I remember I signed it and I'm like okay I won't drink and we were in Europe I was sitting at someone's table and they gave me a glass of wine and I said I'm sorry I can't I can't take it and they're like you are weird and I explained to them I made this commitment that I can't drink it and they respected that but they also still didn't understand it and I go back to it and I go there at what point was it my conscience was it their conscience you know I, I don't know where it fits in this but I feel like it, there is something where could I have said this is a circumstance where for them it is better that I take so that I'm not offensive to them because it wasn't it's not a sin issue for them and so um, I, I don't I don't know so I don't know at what at what point do I say I'm trying to keep my witness and saying I made this commitment and not being offensive so that they might come to Christ? I don't know. So, 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but I think that when he talks about the conscience and what it means, he's really meaning like he's not to be determined, or he's not he, he's not going to be guilty because of um, someone else's conscience. So we we don't we don't determine our freedom in Christ and what we can and cannot do because someone else says we can't. If that makes sense, the conscience question. Who asked? It was oh Deborah Barry. Like, I'm looking out here, but she's here on the screen. Like, there was someone in this direction. Oh, wait. Um, and verse 30, it says, if, you, if I partake with thankfulness, why am I denounced because of that for which I give thanks? And he's like, if he eats something and he's blessing and he's thanking God for it, he, he shouldn't be judged or denounced for, because he's thankful for what God has given. And he's... He's making this as a statement like, don't, just because someone is saying what you're doing is wrong, don't, don't base your Christian freedom on their conscience, um, but what God has given as freedom. With all of that said, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, we're doing it for God. And this is kind of where he ends in saying, so that that there will be no offense. I'm not going to offend anyone, the Jews or the Greeks or or the Church of God, but trying to please everyone so that, not for my own advantage, but so that they might be saved. And so again, this is just our perspective, um, what we need to be doing. Um, so I just broke it down into first glorifying God in everything don't be do not openly offend and try to please everyone and don't seek your own gain but think of others for the sake of christ um when he says try to please everyone i'm not talking about those people pleasers that can't that don't know where they stand in in christ and be like i just can't make a decision this is where he says my conscience this is not, I'm not living on their conscience, I'm living on my own, what, what Christ has given me and the freedom that I have. So when he says try to please everyone, it's not that in the sense of being a doormat. Yeah, yeah. It's, putting it's just putting... You, are you talking about only believers, is that what you said? To the Jews, to the Greeks, to and God. to the Church of God. Yeah, so all three of those are there, right? Um, yeah. So it's 1106. So. Got through it all though, that's awesome. It was a lot. That was a lot, thank you. <laughs> but I wanted to have some discussion, but. So let's just. I know. Um, can you pray for us? I'd love to. Lord, thank you for this, for your word and for the, all the reminders that we had, I mean, just even looking back on the story of the Israelites and um, how they were brought out of slavery and into freedom, and then they and then they grumbled and Lord, they weren't grateful. And Lord, I pray that you would give us each um, the knowledge, the um, just the discernment to know whether we are causing you. Um, frustration or we're, we're ten, testing you or 
um, making you angry. Lord, I pray that you would give us hearts that want to please you and glorify you in all that we say and do and eat and drink. And um, I pray that you would use us to be a blessing to others. And and um, thank you for the, your word. Thank you for Julianne and the way that she's so, um, so she does such a great job articulating it and teaching it. And I pray that you would let it to seep into our hearts and that we would glorify you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. He's yeah, he's doing great. He's doing really well. Does he have to rest? Oh, that's the weirdest thing. Like it's not like he had a major heart attack and needs to recover no, from it. Important procedure. I mean it was it was so so now we know that, that heart that chest pain he had was very small heart attack that caused no damage to his heart. So when he did an echocardiogram on Sunday, they're like, you have a photogenic heart. It looks great. And he's like, see, I'm fine. What am I doing here? But they still were pushing and pressing to make sure that they covered it all. And so, which I'm thankful for. So because he had those elevated <coughs> enzymes, that was an incident, a myocardial in infraction or something, is what huh. they call it. So they did the angiogram just to rule out everything. And we were still concerned because his blood pressure was still pretty high. So they did the myo they did the angiogram and then that's when they shoot dye. They go in through your artery, go up with a scope and shoot dye into your all the arteries, and they found an 80% blockage on the artery on the front of the heart and then put a stint in while they were in there and now it's great and his blood pressure was doing well and so it's like we just keep thinking it was just really the grace of god that he had that small little like a whisper of like hey check this out so that we got to know that there was a bigger issue that they could take care of so that he didn't have a big heart attack you know and it was just enough that he didn't have permanent damage yeah it. it was isn't that amazing? It is. It's oh, truly God's that, mercy. Kirsten, this is your husband? Yeah. <laughs> oh, I'm so sorry. I had no idea. When did this happen? It happened on thing, on Halloween. And I said, you know, Scott, if you didn't want to dress up as thing one and thing two again, just uh, for <laughs> our driveway, there's other ways of getting around that. Because <laughs> we had dressed up for 